Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Health with Providence. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, bringing you the latest in healthcare trends and news each week. For today's episode, another one of our Future of Health hosts, Dr. Josh Luke, former hospital CEO and expert on healthcare affordability, is interviewing Greg Till, the EVP and Chief People Officer of Providence. They'll be discussing the future of workforce in healthcare. Thank you both for your time today. I can't wait to hear the conversation. Hi, it's Josh Luke, founder of the not-for-profit National Readmission Prevention Collaborative and a, a proud partner of Providence's Influencer Program. And I'm really excited today to be in Orange County, California, my home county, uh, interviewing another uh, executive that's really pioneering how healthcare is being delivered in this country. It's my honor to be here today with Greg Till, the Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer from Providence. Uh, welcome. Thanks so much, it's great to be here. All right, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I was so fascinated by your background before coming to Providence. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, right before I came to Providence, uh, I like to say, I, say I was saving lives in a different way. I worked for a government defense agency. Okay. Um, also, um, really risk-averse type of organization. You know, little mistakes make a big difference. Sure. And uh, working with really smart folks, engineers instead of doctors. But I actually see a lot of similarities between the cultures um, and the need for high quality in both settings. So I did that for a little while. Um, before that, I worked for Arthur Anderson, and now defunct consulting firm, and uh, taught at Purdue and several other community colleges for about five and a half years, which I really loved as well. So let's talk about that a little bit. I've, I've been a, a faculty member at the University of Southern California and some other universities as well. I noticed that you had been a faculty member, and I wanted to see how much of that uh, learning experience on your part comes over from the university teaching level to um, how you hire and acquire talent at Providence. Yeah, well, I, for me, it formed a really great foundation of getting to know folks right when they're starting their careers. And so when we're interviewing, you know, um, entry-level nurses or EVS workers or finance folks, um, I really feel like I have a good feeling for the folks that are going to be successful in that role. I also found it really invigorating because you get to learn a lot um, from future generations. You know, over 75% of our workforce is going to be millennials in the next five years. Sure. And so getting to know a lot of folks um, as millennials, um, I know about what they need and what really motivates them. I love it when I go to a conference and uh, folks make fun of the millennials of being the everyone gets a prize generation. I'm like, yeah. all right, you keep making fun of them. I'm going to keep hiring them and developing them and making yeah. them a, a part of our workforce. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that. One of the things I do as an influencer on LinkedIn and Twitter is I promote the need to understand millennial culture, even though I'm a Gen Xer, I'm a proud Gen Xer, but I, I, I share with people as I traveled and worked with healthcare executives, it was about 2015 or 16 where I realized millennial culture was now American culture. Yeah. And you mentioned that, so can you tell us one or two of the specific things that you've seen or witnessed that's really um, been a learning experience for you as it pertains to understanding this millennial culture that you said is going to make up three of every four of your employees pretty soon here. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, the first one is folks like to say that they're not loyal. It's not really true. They're not necessarily loyal to companies, but they're loyal to brands. And they're loyal to mission and purpose. That's one of the things that I think we can capitalize on really well here at Providence and Social of Health, where mission is just a part of what we do. Uh, second thing is that they um, are known as job hoppers. Well, they're only known as job hoppers if they can't get the career opportunities and the growth that they need within an organization. So being a really large health system that has a mission and a focus really helps us, frankly, to build paths for folks to give them a career for life, even though they might have 15 different jobs while they're here. 
That's, that's a great answer. And let's stick with that theme of loyalty and culture for just a minute. One of the things that I used to say as a hospital CEO is, is I, a lot of people use the word empathy in healthcare, and sometimes I feel like that's overplayed. I used to say, let's look for folks who have a heart for caring. And one of the ways I can find that when I interview them is by asking them a couple open-ended questions about why are you here, why healthcare. And I loved it when I heard their story in the first few words. And I think I just heard you say that not only is that something that Providence is looking for, but you found that the millennial culture actually brings that and represents that, even though the book on them is that they don't. Absolutely. I mean, millennials are known to volunteer more than previous generations and frankly, to seek kind of uh, to know themselves and to offer themselves to the world in a way where the um, generations that came before them really kind of just went to work to work. And so we know that purpose, values, giving back to communities are all things that they really uh, care about. And we like to foster that within that generation, but also in the communities that we serve. It's so cool to hear some positive things, research and, and actual real life stuff coming out about millennials who do work so hard. But I don't think it's just millennials um, that appreciate working for an organization that really is true to their mission. And one of the things that folks know about me is I'm highly skeptical of, of health systems that aren't acting the part to stay true to focusing on the patient population. And one of the things I love about Providence is health is a human right and the other programs that you're working on. Um, do you see that across the generations with your employees that, that the reason your retention rate is, is increasing and going in the direction it is, is because they see that you are true, being true to your mission as a ministry? hundred percent. I mean, a lot of organizations have great mission statements, um, but don't, don't necessarily live that mission or live those values every single day. And we're all humans. We're not perfect. Um, but we do a lot of that from a system all the way on down to our frontline leaders. As a system, you mentioned health is a human right. We also really support the Medicaid population, homelessness, sure. um, immigration. There's so many great issues that we take a social stand on and then really help to try to build those social stands into our communities. And we're not afraid of that. Our caregivers really like that, regardless of if they're millennials, Gen Xers, or you know the silent generation, uh, frankly. And so we see that that having a real impact um, from the top all the way down. So one of the questions I also wanted to ask you is, Providence being one of the largest health systems in the country, uh, mostly West Coast dominant, you guys are constantly competing for talent uh, in Seattle with Amazon and others in Silicon Valley and California with some of the most successful companies on the globe right now. How do you compete for that top talent? And what is it that, that you think attracts people to Providence from a Microsoft, from an Amazon, from a Google? Because uh, it's just impressive that just one employee comes from those organizations, let alone you know hundreds at times. It sounds a little corny, but we like to say that we're at the intersection of innovation and compassion. You probably know that our CEO, Dr. Rod Hockman, was just named the third most influential person in all of healthcare. Sure. Um, that's because our organization is incredibly innovative. And if you get someone from an Amazon or a different type of an organization like that, they can bring their technical skills to bear and their innovation and their entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but they can also see how those things are really impacting the communities that we serve. You know, you're not just offering a better widget or a better piece of software. We're actually aiming to improve the health of the communities that we're in. And unlike, you know, in defense, for instance, where I came from, where our mission was really strong, I never knew how I was exactly contributing to an electro-optical system or a satellite. Um, I know that if we hire the best folks, if we really engage them, we can make a difference in our patients' lives and in the communities that we serve. And that's really compelling for folks. Yeah, that's powerful, for sure.
So you mentioned innovation and compassion, and I love that that statement. So can you give an example of some of the things, or just one or two things that Providence has done that would exemplify that intersection of innovation and compassion? Because that's really cool and a powerful statement. Well, one of the things that I really love that we do is we deploy lots of different kinds of modern technology, but almost all of that technology is aimed at easing the way of our caregivers or making the experience of care better for our patients. One example of that is um, voice technology. You know, if you ask a doctor how much time they actually spend putting hands on patient, doing the thing that they got trained to do, they only say about 40 to 50% of their time is interacting with patients, doing what they love to do. Same thing with nurses and um, other techs. And so a lot of our technology, for instance, is aimed at voice recognition, you know, making sure that 
um, the interaction between the doctor and the patient is caught inputted in, into Epic so that the doctor isn't spending an hour after they see the patient, you know, inputting their sure. notes into Epic. That's one really small which example. Which is the norm now. Which is the norm now. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that doctors complain about most. Sure. It's so we're using a lot of our technology to ease the way of our clinicians um, so that they can spend more time with our patients giving the great care that we know that they can and want to. As it should be, as it should be. Uh, patients want to spend time with their doctor and with their clinician. So you also mentioned entrepreneurship and in a, a health system as large as Providence, it's all often challenging to keep that entrepreneurial spirit. So can you share a couple of examples of how Providence has been successful in doing that? Um, one of the things that we've done and we publicize a lot, both externally and internally, is started up a Providence Ventures Group and a digital innovation arm. I'm not sure if you've talked to Aaron Martin yet, but if you haven't, haven't yet. you know, we have probably a suite of 25 to 30 different technologies that are leading edge. Um, we did a, a paper a couple of months ago about the future of work, not the workforce, but the future of work and how tech is really impacting the workforce. Yeah. And every single one of the areas um, that we are looking into the future of Providence is on the leading edge. And so we take that kind of innovation group. And then we talk to our caregivers about how they can contribute to that innovation, um, both in terms of who we're hiring, in terms of how they provide care. And we also look to other industries. You know, one of the things I think that we're pretty good at is looking to other industries to see how they do things and bringing those things into healthcare, whether it's deploying supply chain tactics for how we hire people, looking at folks like Nordstrom and Disney to try to bring those into our experience for our patients, um, or whether we look at high tech to try to bring you know more collaboration and social into the way that we do work and partner with our patients. Well, those are all great tactics that I think um, really show through in what Providence is doing and the mission as a ministry. I, for one, can really speak to the fact that I think you, the evidence of what you are focused on is really uh, shining through. Let me ask you a question I also asked Mike West when we had the opportunity to chat. I'm, I'm a public speaker for a living since I left the C-suite, and the name of my uh, keynote is the health system of the future. When you think about the health system of the future, we hear about the nursing shortage. We hear about a therapist shortage in different regions. If you're speaking to a mom or dad right now or a college student, or even a high school student saying, man, I'd love to be a part of not just the healthcare delivery model, but maybe of a, of a ministry like Providence some days, where do you see the greatest need 10 to 15 years from now in regard to caregivers or even just anybody working along the spectrum to deliver care in the health system of the future? It's hard to pick one. You know, when you look at the chart about the future of work and the jobs that are going away or the jobs that are going to be created based on AI, I think McKinsey says there's going to be 15 trillion dollars added to our GDP. There are lots of uh, industries where jobs are decreasing because, um, as McKinsey calls it, they're uh, the dangerous or the dull. Well, in healthcare, almost all of the jobs in healthcare um, are going to be in shortage of some supply in the next 10 years, just based on the aging population. And so any clinical function that folks want to go into, an MA, a nurse, um, a pharma tech um, would be great, uh, a great career. But also in addition to how we've typically grown those careers, folks are going to be a little bit more, need to be a little bit more tech enabled. Um, because in healthcare, just like other industries, we're projecting that almost 60% of our jobs are going to be 30 to 40% different because of AI, because of machine learning. And so I think even doctors and nurses are going to have to learn a little bit better how to engage with technology in order to ease their way, both for the benefit of the patient, but also for the benefit of those clinicians. 
You mentioned artificial intelligence, and it's uh, it's a hot topic across the board in healthcare, but also as it pertains to uh, people management and human resources. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the ethics and just the other issues that surround artificial intelligence or AI, as, as some people refer to it, when it comes to uh, attracting and hiring talent? Yeah, for, I think the plus is that AI has the potential to attract way better person job fit um, for the organization, attract better culture fit, and frankly, reduce the amount of bias that's currently in hiring systems, for instance, or promotion systems. Unfortunately, some have learned the hard way that humans can also accidentally program that bias in. And so I think the first ethical concern is, how do we take the humanness out of the AI (laughs) in order to ensure that we don't put our own biases into a system that actually can accentuate those things? I think the other thing about AI is that if we don't take responsibility, frankly, to retrain some of the populations that currently do the work that's more routine, it's going to impact certain parts of the populations more than others. And those populations are typically lower socioeconomic um, in nature, uh, more inner city in nature, less educated in nature, the folks that we already consider more poor and vulnerable. And so I think as a health system, as a community, we really have to take advantage of the tools and technologies that exist to retrain those populations, to get them interested in other things, to make sure they can take advantage of the new jobs that are going to be created. And I think that that's an ethical concern, especially for an organization like ours that cares so much about that poor and vulnerable population. It's great that you've recognized that and prioritized that so you can kind of get ahead of it as well. One of the things that I think is one of the best kept secrets of Providence and uh, as an organization who's innovative and true to the mission is uh, there's a high school that Providence uh, is owns, engaged with, started. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we have a prop, we have a high school. We also have a college um, that uh, has a, a lot more degree programs in the last five years to do just what we're talking about um, to try to start training our own workforce, especially clinical. But we do have a high school. It's uh, pretty close to where we're at here. It's called Providence High School. We've had it for several several decades now. And if you ask Dr. Hockman, our CEO, well, why does a health system um, keep a high school around? He'll say, what better way to find out what future consumers and future caregivers are thinking than to get really closely connected to a high school? So we actually find it a pretty valuable asset, not only to build the future of um, our own workforce, but to really know what the future generations are thinking about and what their health systems um, are going to need to deliver. So one of the questions as a former CEO that, that as I hired, I always struggle with is there's always a, you know, a nurse goes to college, gets a degree, gets a license, but there's always these other uh, positions within the hospital. There's so many people that would love to work in a healthcare environment um, that don't have the opportunity to college or the, to go to college or the means to go to college. Can you just share some of the things you've observed in attracting good talent that might fit into that category to give them hope? Hey, if you if you aren't able to go to college but want to work in a great system like Providence, here's a couple of things to think about to get on that path. Well, that's one of the great things about having a high school and having a college is that we kind of have a complete pipeline to say, look, if you don't have a college degree, but if you're willing to do a couple of months of certification, you can become an MA. And if you're willing to become an NA, MA, then we'll actually pay for you to um, take nursing courses to become a surge tech and then to become a BSN. And so we actually have internal pipelines that we're able to do that for folks. And I think other health systems um, should be thinking about that as well. Like you mentioned earlier that there's going to be a significant shortage. If you look at the BLS, they're saying that we're going to need a million more nurses than we have in the next five to 10 years. So, I mean, first and foremost, we need to figure out how to develop more than we currently are. 
We also, though, back to the kind of future of work, need to be thinking about doing work differently. If we know that we're not going to be able to hire, develop, or retain enough nurses, for instance, to do the work like we're doing it today, we need to do work lift differently. And so we're doing um, massive strategies in both of those areas, both to change the nature of the work um, that we're doing to reduce the need for nurses, but also to massively scale our ability to hire, attract, and even more importantly, develop our own. So let's stick with that theme because healthcare is moving out of the inpatient environment to the outpatient environment. And when we talk about the health system of the future, you hear the word home mentioned a lot. And for a traditionally inpatient organization, particularly in HR, to start thinking about employing individuals going into the home, it's a much different set of circumstances. How are you, how is Providence preparing for the fact that employees will now be going into the home uh, because it's a much different approach? Yeah, I think what you need in that situation are a couple of things. And I think we're on the cutting edge of thinking through that and doing some really good things and um, thinking through more of what we need. But the first one is great communication. You know, we really need to understand um, what the folks in the home need. We need to make sure that the folks that are going to those homes don't just have the same kinds of skills they might have in an acute setting, but kind of have great bedside manner, have communication sure. skills and those kinds of things. We're also, though, doing a lot with tele. You know, I think um, when we talk about getting closer to the patient um, in their home, we're not just talking about potentially sending a nurse in a car into that patient's um, home. We're also talking about getting on their mobile device, um, getting on their um, computer and doing telehealth. Um, we know, for instance, that the top 25 major hubs in the world are going to get most of the job growth. And unfortunately, for a lot of our rural communities, the jobs are going to be going away. Well, the people are going to still be there and need health. And so um, one of the things that we're doing is really investing a ton in tele to make sure that we can do uh, virtual visits um, just as easy or even easier than, you know, 1-800-UBER-NURSE. Gentlemen, this is a great conversation, but we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the future of workforce and healthcare after this quick break.
We're back on Future of Health. Today's special episode with host Dr. Josh Luke and Greg Till discussing workforce future of healthcare. Gentlemen, let's continue. So we've, we've covered a lot of ground in the last few minutes. So I want to give you a hypothetical. You walk into a room of 2,000 um, students at a job fair. And other than what we've already talked about, if you have three or four minutes to, to tell them about what's so wonderful about Providence and why they should work there, um, what would you share? I always start, um, number one, with our mission, help folks understand what that really means. As a caregiver not yet called to Providence, um, I would, really wouldn't have understood what it really means to be part of our mission, what it really means to be in a values-based organization. So I always start there. Uh, second one, which is fueled by that, is our caregiver experience. Um, caregiver experience is our number one people strategy. We believe that if we provide an incredible experience for our caregivers at work, um, that we'll also see great patient outcomes, you know, great patient experience at an affordable sure. rate. And we actually have lots of data now internally that shows that. And experience just doesn't mean you're satisfied at work. It also means you're enabled. That's really difficult as more and more nurses and doctors are burned out. The tools and technologies haven't necessarily kept up with the most innovative um, organizations. And so we're doing a ton of investment internally to make sure that our caregivers are enabled for success in addition to just being um, engaged and satisfied, which everybody else measured. Um, I think the third thing is the opportunity to make a real impact in the communities that you're serving. Whether you're a finance person or a nurse or a doctor, we try to help everyone understand the impact that they're able to make in the communities that they serve, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's just by doing their job and impacting the patient's um, affordability or the patient's care. Um, every single caregiver that works at Providence St. Joseph Health knows how what they do, even if they're in an office every day, um, impacts the communities that we're serving. I think that's number three. And then number four is just to really be on the cutting edge of innovation. We believe that our vision and our strategy is going to catapult us into the future and that other health systems are going to follow us because of the impact that we're able to make in the communities that we're serving. And it's pretty cool um, to work at a health system. Healthcare isn't known necessarily, especially in the administrative functions for being the most innovative. Sure. It's pretty cool to be at an innovative health system that really is aiming to make health for a better world um, part of what we experience every single day. And so for me, the innovation part along with the caring part is what makes us special. I, I am really more and more impressed as I learn more about Providence. And, and I think the, the word purpose that you shared for caregivers and employees in an acute healthcare setting to understand their purpose makes such a difference. I think it really shows through uh, with your employees at Providence. It does. We actually ask folks what their calling is on day one. You know, we That's believe fabulous. that we're going to lose folks or gain them um, for life on day one. And so in addition to all the other stuff that most organizations do to form connections on day one, we start talking about purpose and we start talking about calling. And most folks that come to a health system don't, have never thought about um, calling before, especially if they're administrative uh, caregivers. But on day one, we start talking about what's your purpose? What's your calling? What's your connection to this work? Um, because we want to ensure that they have kind of more than just a paycheck driving them to deliver their best every single day.
Continuing my conversation with Greg Till, the Executive Vice President, Chief People Officer for Providence, I wanted to continue to ask, I've really been fascinated by some of the conversations we've had, had about innovation and really the focus you put on caregivers, but also how really um, both of those kind of get you back to the future of healthcare, which is healthcare delivered in the home. So can you speak a little bit more about how your caregivers are helping you understand what those needs are going to be uh, in the future for home-based delivery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've made a huge investment in our ambulatory outplacement surgery um, and all of the like to make sure that we can provide more care directly in the home. And so we're getting lots of great feedback every single day from our caregivers about how those things are working, um, how the technology with telehealth and telepsych are working. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we actually involve most of our caregivers in those kinds of things before we ever roll them out to our patients. Oh, and so as a health system, we believe that our own caregivers um, should be getting the benefit um, of our services uh, just as our patients are as well in the home. So, for instance, we rolled out telepsych to our own caregivers um, prior to launching it within our communities. Um, every single one of our caregivers can get free telehealth visits. Um, that was wow. a way to increase utilization and test it out before we brought it out to our patients. 
Um, we also use this cool technology that you have access to on your cell phone that um, helps you to manage your own health to make sure that we don't kind of live into the stigma of having a healthcare organization that has the least healthy caregivers, um, sure. which kind of healthcare is known for. Uh, I'm fascinated by the mobile application, but it's not surprising considering Providence is walking the walk in so many other areas. Can you tell us a little bit more about that mobile application? Is it something that somebody like me could just download and start using today? Uh, absolutely. It's called Virgin Pulse, and it helps you measure everything from the benefit that you're getting out from your workout to how well you feel inside from a, a wellness perspective. And so it really covers the ground of mental, emotional, financial, and physical health um, to provide a holistic set of things that you can help manage on your own. That's fabulous. So we've talked a lot about kind of the origins of the caregiver and the hiring process. Let's take it all the way to the other end with one of the biggest issues in healthcare delivery, particularly with nurses and physicians right now, which is burnout. What is Providence doing to address the issue of burnout with physicians and caregivers? Yeah, well, the thing that I mentioned earlier that's really part of our caregiver experience strategy is an enablement. So that's kind of number one, is we're trying to figure out what are the primary causes of burnout uh, and how do we basically cut the antecedent conditions down? Um, a lot of systems kind of start with training for resilience. And we also train for resilience. Sure. But I believe if you put all your focus on resilience, you're never going to put enough effort into mitigating the antecedent conditions to the actual burnout. And so we're using a ton of technology now that we can talk more about if you're interested to try to reduce the amount of burnout that people face because their jobs are harder than they should be, especially with the administrative tasks. We also do, do train a lot about um, resilient and self-care. Um, a lot of burnout, if you read the literature, is because as health professionals, you deal with a lot of really tough environmental circumstances. Sure. And so a lot of us, our efforts are focused on healthcare um, and uh, making sure that we help folks to be more resilient. But I mean, frankly, the, the thing that I'm most excited about are the things that we're doing to ease our caregivers' way. Um, we have this promise at Providence St. Joseph Health. It's called um, Know Me, Care For Me, and Ease My Way. We offer that promise every single day to our patients and our communities, um, but we also offer that promise to our own caregivers. And so part of uh, reducing burnout is easing their way through the administrative that they have to go through. Know me, care for me, and ease my way. And, and it's clear that Providence acting you know, on its mission as a ministry is, is doing that, not just for its, uh, its uh, patients, but its employees. And I, I just want to, again, applaud you for that. So could you give me maybe one more example of, of what you've learned about burnout, whether it's with nurses or with physicians that you, you know, the minute you started doing research, one thing kept coming up that made you realize we have to address this one issue because it seems pretty common across the board. The big thing that we found was folks not being able to practice at the top of their license. When okay. you feel like you know how to do something really well, but you sure. can't bring yourself to work and do the job that you know that you can because there's administrative burden or because there's a legal burden or because the coworkers aren't getting along or for whatever or inputting into electronic medical records. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, hypothetically <laughs> yeah. speaking, yes. Um, all of those things are contributors of burnout. And so that's why we try to put so much focus on enablement. That's why we're deploying technology into our hiring systems, into our payroll systems, sure. into our um, management um, direct access systems. We're putting almost everything that our leaders used to do um, on their computers, on mobile devices now to ease their way. For our caregivers, we're deploying um, chatbots and other types of things so that they can get their questions answered super easily, even folks on night shift where yeah. maybe you were not able to get someone on the phone before. 
And so we're actually deploying some of that technology we talked about earlier to reduce the antecedent conditions of burnout so that we can have even more impact on the resilience and the self-care that we talked about. So many great examples of what you're doing to um, really improve employee satisfaction, which also improves patient satisfaction, but also uh, I see the end result. It's, it's interesting, as a hospital CEO by trade, what you just described, the last thing I want to do is pay a physician or a nurse to not work at the top of their license because that is not only costing me more money to operate the hospital, but it's passed on ultimately to the consumer. So when it comes to um, healthcare affordability, um, the efforts you're making are helping along the way is too, uh, uh, also helping along the way. So that's really cool. And I'm really glad you shared that example because everybody benefits from that. And it's something that not a lot of healthcare organizations have stopped and invested the time to study. But burnout is absolutely an issue right now, as you know, with nurses and doctors. So I'm really glad that you guys are taking time to address that. Let's uh, take that one step further as well. Not only in your local communities, but internationally, Providence has kind of spearheaded some efforts for your caregivers to, to walk the walk with you as a ministry. Can you share what some of those things are? Yeah, I'm super proud of those. And it's part of that kind of purpose-driven um, experience we want to be able to offer people. So several of our caregivers get to take pilgrimages to France or Guatemala and really roll up their sleeves and help in the communities that need it most to build latrines or to um, build um, smokestacks to make sure that the smoke isn't um, held within homes anymore to prevent deaths of little children and so much other great work. Um, we also just started um, a North American trip to Mexico to help the Mexicans out with their um, water systems. A lot of folks get to go to those trips, but those are international. We do so much in our own communities, though, every single day. Um, to also offer that back. We have huge uh, volunteer efforts and volunteer programs. We want every single one of our caregivers um, to be able to spend as much time as they can volunteering in their own communities to make a big difference. And so while the Guatemala trips and the Mexican trips and the pilgrimages to France and Montreal are incredibly uh, exciting, and it's really, frankly, a part of what drives a lot of our leaders, especially to continue to live the mission and feel that sense of calling every day, um, every caregiver, regardless of their level, um, or how long they've been here, has opportunities to volunteer in their communities, helping to expand our effort around health. Don't look down Cause I'm on top of the world
So let's pivot the conversation a little bit more towards human resources and maybe there's some folks watching and listening that would love to work with Providence and, and I myself through the years have um, gone through the, hey, you know, it's all SEO when it comes to resumes, just keywords or you're not going to get your resume to the top or, or whatever it might be. Can you tell us kind of what the most current trends are right now as it pertains to technology and human resources uh, specific to Providence as well? Yeah, I mean, some of the most exciting advances in technology um, are easily deployable to our human population. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, we typically don't start the conversation with affordability, but you're able to bend the cost curve if you can have a better impact for your caregivers and with your caregivers. And so some of the things that we're doing, we just started a recent partnership with IBM to deploy their Watson tools um, okay. to our hiring process. Cool. And um, part of what that's going to help us to do is to find the best candidate for the best job, the best fit in the quickest time possible. Um, healthcare has pretty terrible time to fill and time to starts, for instance, and the candidate experience hasn't been that great either. And so we're deploying lots of different kinds of technologies in order to identify the best candidates for the best roles so that not only are we getting high quality candidates, but we're able to retain those folks because they're better connected to our mission. And we're also deploying um, technology uh, on our, with our, our service center. Um, that's one of the most kind of dissatisfying folks when you're internal to an organization. Um, as you call up the service center, you want to know how many days of PTO you have left. And, you know, you get forwarded to three different people. They don't know what the story is because you're in a hospital system that they just acquired. Um, well, we have a chatbot now happening, uh, hoping with helping with all of that. Um, and one of the things that that does is it allows us to answer questions whenever people have them from their mobile phone, um, even folks that haven't been able to get um, access to um, a rep because they worked a night shift before. Um, also, from an internal perspective, we're deploying technology for development. You know, um, folks don't want to spend two hours or four hours or three weeks in a classroom anymore getting sure. great leadership development. And so almost all of our leadership uh, is also going mobile um, and short snippets. And we're also deploying social um, technology to help folks to learn from each other. So we just rolled out this platform that we're calling Rise. Um, okay. Anyone can buy it from a company called Degree, but we're calling it Rise because it's going to help lift everybody okay. up based on the way that they're able to access different kinds of development, set career paths, and learn from others who've done the same things in the organization as well. And so those are a couple of examples about how we're deploying technology with our own caregivers. When I was a consultant, we used to say you can have it fast, cheap, or good, pick two. <laughs> but by deploying this new technology yeah. with our own caregivers, we can have it fast, cheap and better than we've ever had it before, all three. That's great. So on that note, um, healthcare hasn't traditionally been remote or home-based. And so how are, are those factors impacting 
um, your talent recruitment and your talent management. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we know that the 25 huge geographic hubs are going to be where the majority of the job growth happens. And that's going to have a massive impact on some of our hardest hit areas, our rural areas where we currently have critical access hospitals. And so we're investing a lot of money, not just in things like telehealth, where you might have a doctor in Idaho providing uh, virtual care to somebody in uh, Valdez, Alaska, um, one of our ministries. Um, but we're also doing that within our administrative uh, areas. We're actually testing right now, for instance, uh, telecoaching for leaders. So that if you're a leader in Valdez and you don't have an HR professional sitting next to you, that yeah. you can do some telecoaching or tele-ER um, in ways that okay. um, we're deploying as well. So we're really trying to prepare for um, being able to get talent in these kind of 25 big hubs, um, but also t- to continue providing great care, whether it's for our patients and communities or whether it's for our leaders and our caregivers within our organization using teleservices. Uh, it sounds very rewarding and part of a great culture. So, folks, this wraps up my conversation with Greg Till, uh, Executive Vice President, Chief People Officer for Providence. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It was really delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Luke, for guest hosting and to Greg Till for sharing your insights with us today. If you're looking for more about the work that Providence does around the future of healthcare workforce, please visit future.pshahealth.org. Thanks for listening.